Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and today I'm excited to have Suhas Mishra, who's a founder of Misters, which is a men's confidence company. Suhas was earlier the founder of Hector Beverages, the co-founder of Channel Play. Uh, Suhas has worked with brands like Nokia and Coca-Cola, and he's an alumni of I Am Calcutta. Uh, Misters has recently uh, uh, raised a funding of $1 million from Source Venture Fund. Uh, welcome to the show, Suhas. Hi, hi, Rohit. How are you? Very good, sir. Thank you for uh, coming on to the show. Uh, and I, I was very interested to know uh, that you've been part of um, really large unicorns like Hector Beverages. And before that, you've been part of uh, consumer companies like Coca-Cola. What got you into this crazy world of startups? Oh, well, I mean, uh, when I was graduating from IMCAL, uh, entrepreneurship wasn't such a big thing as it has become since, right. which is awesome. But uh, so, uh, but, but because by virtue of being in that world and probably one of the first few sort of class batches or at, at great campuses where you had proper internet, the, the, the stories of uh, entrepreneurship across the, from across the world were, you know, like much more available. Right. And, uh, and my friend and I, who, I mean, uh, later on, we started Channel Play together. We used to often discuss that uh, we, we should do something, wanted to opt out of placements and uh, start something right away. But in those days, there was, I still is uh, that pressure of, you know, like if you go to a campus like that, you should secure a job with basically a multinational company. Right. Uh, that was just, you know, expected sort of rites of passage. Um, and, and there's a certain safety and social badge which comes with it. So, so we fell for it and we went and joined uh, the companies we joined, but it never left. We always wanted to start something together. And eventually, you know, just three or three odd years after that, we did. So uh, I, think, uh, I think that's the start of it. I've, I've always liked the idea of doing something of my own. Really didn't know the world very well. Like, like, when I think of VC conversations we had back in the day, like in 2006, seven, the whole thing was very formative. We didn't know so many things which are now so basic. And if I scroll through LinkedIn, I see so many mentions or mentions of terms, which back in the day we had no clue about and how that whole world operates, what's going on. It was all uh, very early, you know, like it, I, I enjoy the fact that I became an entrepreneur when before it became a big thing, but now also enjoy the fact that now there are so many entrepreneurs and it's a bit of a community. Uh, there's always that entrepreneurial sort of uh, brotherhood, sisterhood going where, you know, you sort of are uh, interacting with other entrepreneurs regularly. So, yeah, I think early on, short answer, uh, maybe somewhere around 2001 to somewhere in that phase, started thinking that this, I, I would start something of my own. And so the corporate experience is just probably delaying the inevitable. Right. And, and you started off a channel play. So is, is, was it an advertising company that you started with? So channel play had, uh, it came out of a lot of, you know, like early on when I joined Coca-Cola and first understood distribution, I, I, like a lot of young people who, who, you know, joined big companies 
uh, they, they they end up feeling like oh they get it like they've cracked some code i felt that way as well back in the day so uh, one of the thesis was that too much of the process of selling operates as an art or as a craft why and there's not enough science in it all so uh, and so basically started grappling with that question for a while through my coca cola and nokia days and then said that this is this sounds like something interesting so the channel play tagline for the longest time was the science of selling so we basically thought we will uh, and and you know like working at large uh, organizations you get to interact with a lot of agencies which are doing various tasks in the marketing sort of spectrum um uh, and and uh, and when one sees that the the, the way they operate the, the very low value they add we thought that there is great scope in adding this value at that time like i said one didn't really evaluate businesses uh, i mean at least we didn't in terms of is it a big enough space is it disruptive we used to think it's a big enough space because we thought all selling is within our remit uh, but uh, but uh the science of selling the building and uh, deploying the science of selling was our avowed mission in channel play um as the company progressed it ended up being more and more in the retail marketing world and is right now arguably india's largest retail marketing company uh run by my very close friend and the the one who with whom i started it sandeep uh, holani uh so so basically that that was the channel play story it was in hindsight always seems like it was more about let us do something together than the what but briefly i've described the what interesting and uh, you know after channel play you you went on to build head to beverages so you know before the call i was talking that uh, i met you many years back where you building distribution for head to beverages especially in the east right. area and right. uh, head to beverages recently crossed 1000 crores in revenue so what were your learnings in in building such a such an amazing brand and uh, you know what made head to beverages achieve this kind of success uh, with the brand right i won't comment on head to beverages revenue but uh, basically hector uh, as a company i think uh, it again started with some very uh, basic questions uh, and not even on the demand side neeraj uh, uh, with whom i co-founded hector was my second boss in the coca cola days we really got on very well uh, very briefly i reported to him but then he moved on but we stayed in touch uh, i was a sounding board when he was writing his uh, uh application for uh, the mba eventual mba from wharton yeah. uh and uh, and so by when he was completing it we started talking about you know again doing something together and uh, and so we said yeah but what would we do and uh, the the discussion was largely that you know we were always good at the beverage game because still when you know like we would meet and it's something true of most coca cola i'm sure of pepsi people as well that even after years when they meet they like to brag about who got to what market share in that game uh, it's a obviously famously or infamously competitive world so we 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 you know always felt that we were really good at figuring out the beverage business and and there were lots of opportunities around this uh, duopoly of coke and pepsi which seemed like all good ideas to go for uh not just one and there still are right i mean that hasn't completely changed but <coughs> so so that's where it started is let's to beverages 
fortunately the then two other people joined in as co-founders uh, james nuttle and neeraj bhani james uh, fortunately had before coming to wharton before going to wharton he had been working on this flexi packaging story and uh, he was very bullish on using that in developing markets so it sort of suddenly all came together and we became a, a very strong team of four people and uh, after that obviously we went through our fair share of trials and tribulations before we got to the success that uh, came with paperboard so yeah broadly that there so 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 there were a few things we tried right i mean there was an energy drink right. called zinga uh, which did quite well in colleges had quite a cult following um, and uh, and then paperboard so it was a proper journey of saying okay what is the strategic gap what are we trying to what is the concept so so after that it was very, one of you know because it was such a strong founding team that the the strategy discussion was very very rich and we could really uh, get into the uh, you know like each space and figuring out its drivers etc so it was a, a team of really heavy hitters all of us were i think i mean even though i was part of it but i'm still saying it was probably one of the better teams that comes together to build something absolutely you know activate which is one of the strongest b2c brands that i've uh, seen uh, right. you know lately in, in india and uh, you know you took a break and uh, now you've come up uh, with with a new company which is misters and right. and how did how did that uh, come and uh, how did how did the you know founding of misters happen so um, briefly after not briefly i mean for around 2 to 3 years after uh, hector i didn't do much i was uh, uh living the good life uh, right. traveling and reading etc thinking about uh, what's what not even thinking about what next somehow in that period i got very interested in healthcare and in 2017 i started this company called tardigrade which aimed and basically built a strong tech team and the aim was to connect underserved villages in in healthcare terms to healthcare ecosystems in the city doctors specialists so on and so forth so this was a time when um, the geo airtel game had started and towers were coming up everywhere and suddenly rural connectivity was booming and there was that irony of more people who have access to smartphone who use smartphones than uh, access to healthcare so we we built this telemedicine platform with strong ai ambition um, and uh, rolled it out in 30 40 villages around lucknow city uh and I did that for around a couple of years um in that uh, pro- that was my entry into healthcare right you could say however once that company didn't figure out you know it didn't really work out mostly because uh while a lot of people came to our platform for consultations there was very little by way of commerce so uh so that sort of was the end of tardigrade but later on uh, thinking about healthcare because that got me thinking about healthcare and technology in healthcare and its sort of unfulfilled role or mission so uh, realize that healthcare the healthcare story is probably going to be more around verticals than one horizontal platform play which most of indian health tech is or was and uh, that's when i started thinking okay so what are the verticals where the smartphone really makes sense and then this space sort of picks itself right i mean just anything which requires high discretion uh, where there is awkwardness around acknowledging problems 
there is this uh, again ironical thing about the smartphone being a more human uh, interaction than a person because some of the questions which are essential to find out what's going on with your sexual health are such that even talking to very close friends or to a doctor it does it's not easy right. so start thinking of which are the spaces where the smartphone has a natural role to play and this has sort of fit itself and then i started doing my research into it and it started seeming like even like obviously the opportunities there that almost goes without saying but then realized there's enough intellectual complexity there for for an interesting business to be built uh so that is in a nutshell the story of misters and then uh, i realized that it should it needs to have the right co-founding team which is why uh, one of the co-founders is uh, gorav who i worked with during the nokia days and in fact tried to get him to work on all of the ventures i tried since uh, i've always rated him very highly but finally given his life stage he was ready so he's the co-founder on this business and saurabh who was with me on the health tech story in uh, rural uh, so so uh, because from the hector days i realized that it is important to have a strong core team so i think we now have that and together we said yeah let's do misters so yeah interesting and uh, so uh, uh, you know are you only focusing on uh, on men uh, uh, as a target and uh, you know yes. what are the, what are the problems you're trying to i mean uh, men have have issues like hair fall acne uh, you mm-hmm. know sexual wellness anxiety sleep so are, are you targeting all the all the different uh, uh, problem areas uh, so one of the filters we use is that is it a problem that men find uh difficult to acknowledge okay so for example if suppose you and i are talking and you have not been sleeping well for a while you wouldn't feel particularly awkward about saying that you didn't sleep well for a while uh, or you have not been sleeping well uh, simply because that doesn't get to the idea of being a man it doesn't bring that into question as it were as uh, prop these problems do so that is the lens we like to parse everything through uh, because that is what requires its own kind of expertise so uh, so what we are fo- so when we think of a problem we say it could be a contributing fa- factor for a sexual health problem uh, or it could be a contributing so so we do have a hair fall offering but okay. that is primarily because you know like if you think of um, any man who's starting to lose his hair there is always that primal fear that suddenly people will make some joke about it etc yes. etc right. you go through a period of not acknowledging that you have the problem so uh, so that's the lens so right now we are focused on sexual health and hair fall there could be more problems there like if you think of the whole gupta rog space quote and quote Right. um uh, so very often when i travel now i travel with the express purpose of looking at what are these guys up to and uh, so so yeah so basically but that is important to us like it should be something which is bothering you uh, not just as a you know as a physical problem but it should also be challenging to the what the cultural definition of being a man is so that's a first brand because it uh, i do foresee it as a sum of verticals but this is a first brand and targeted only at men therefore correct and and how the you know products different and uh, you know where do you get the manufacturing done so our product roll out right now we are in demand mode we are working very hard on the product front 
uh, and we have identified you know high quality suppliers and you know some high quality people to lead the science bit Okay. Uh, so a lot of it is under development, uh, including you know certain manufacturing units, etc. Uh, but roughly first week of Feb, we we will have a rollout. So I can't uh, name all the people who are involved in it simply because it's a team that's getting built. Sure. Uh, but but uh, we we are very we we have a strong sort of. I mean we are not doing research in house. That's not our business. But uh, we are trying to partner with strong research companies, and we've managed to with a few. So, but because product rollouts haven't happened, so I, 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 I'm sorry, I won't be able to describe that much. Sure, no, no sure. And uh, you know, since you you built uh, you know number of D2C brands, how do you view online and offline marketing in D2C space? That's like a question very close, uh, very top of mind right now for us. Because uh, even in our beta mode, we've been seeing that all things being equal, there is an upward pressure on keyword uh, prices. Right. And you know, like the big debate in these circles is about how much of you know, like uh, access is controlled by Google and Facebook. Correct. And with a lot of brands getting in, uh, and obviously the same amount of attention being competed for. There is uh, that upward pressure, and even in the short one and a half month of beta testing, we can see it. Um, and so, so that makes it very interesting. So wherever someone now comes up for advice on, you know, direct-to-consumer models, one is uh, automatically curious that is there something beyond uh, Facebook and Google optimization that will bring traffic in? Yeah. It's an existential question for the space and. For a fact, I know that every entrepreneur in the space is thinking about it. Uh, also, right now, nobody has the right answers, except you know, like one goes back to theory and says, marketing theory and says, you know, is this inventory something that everyone is competing for? How many people are competing for it, or is there some marketing inventory which is less competed for? And one is sort of looking for it. Uh, we are at the early stage of that quest. But uh, I think that uh, things are such that um, offline does have promise. So basically, building a brand purely online with the Facebook Google situation being as it is, is uh, purely online uh, direct-to-consumer strategies will be under greater pressure for sure. Right. Which, as obviously we know, it's been discussed a lot. Uh, are the answers in offline? I hope so. I think so. I mean, it's a game we have played well between our core team a lot. Uh, but you know, like one doesn't know what the right answer is um, yet. Uh, I mean, I think if we did, that would be the win in the space. I can't claim to know it, but it, the question is very, very legit. Like, what is the thesis to acquire people? And all things being equal, these things just keep moving north all the time. So, so that is uh, a good question. And unfortunately, there's I don't have an answer. It's something I'm trying to find an answer for. Got it. And uh, you know, a lot of D2C entrepreneurs focus on uh, on the, on their CAC. But uh, is it is there any way on how to uh, increase the LTV and, and lower the CAC? Uh, you, do you have any strategies uh, which you would like to you know tell to listeners on uh, how do we increase the LTV? Well, I'm, I am because I, I'm, uh, I'm approaching the space more from ha having worked on a brand and worked on distribution, etc. 
So in my mind, uh, things will increasingly go back to the question of, is there a brand? Are you building a relationship with the user? Uh, and that is true of both points, like brands which have strong relationships with users in purely offline terms can get away with spending less on acquiring customers. Even if we take it out of the CAC terminology and think of retail, uh, what gets picked off the shelf often has the brand consumer relationship at play. So, so that's a direction which, I mean, I think the answer is there. Like, do, are you building that relationship with the user or is it more a commoditized play where you create the best offer and bundle things, etc in which there will always be greater fungibility uh, between various offerings. So I hope and I'm, con- I'm sort of convinced that the answer is on the brand side of things. And so over the next few months, you will see Misters being more and more like a consumer brand with channel being an important thing, but not the, you know, the big thing. So I think, I think brand is the answer. It's, it's not the most, inci- most, most dramatic of answers because, you know, it's a statement often uh, uh, often said, uh, but, but, but brand, I think, is the answer. Like, are you building a direct relationship with the user? And then a direct-to-consumer or not, you know, category all start becoming somewhat similar. That where is, what does the user think of you? What is your role in the user's life? And so on and so forth. So if you ask me, I, my only advice would be that, yeah, I mean, brand is the answer for better LTV and so probably a bit old world but uh, in my view that is the that is the challenge still that hasn't changed correct and uh, and you know lately you know amazon has has made a strong uh, foothold in india uh, do you think uh, you know marketplaces like amazon will will harm brands or, or brands can make uh, or you know amazon is like an enabler to other brands to uh, as a distribution channel I think a bit of both, right? Like, I mean, I, I often think of from a brand point of view, I often think of disruption in the channel like Amazon or anybody else as, you know, like really testing your relationship with the user. So, you know, a new dynamics has emerged instead of a user having to go to two stores to find out prices of five brands, they might find it in one place and maybe 20 at one go. So what, what all of these do, I feel is because they are essentially making retail more efficient uh, and in a lot of ways are making the consumer better informed, uh, at least say price comparisons or feature comparisons, depending on the category. That I think these are uh, great tests of that relationship that you know the marketeer is trying to build with the user, with the consumer. Uh, it's a, so, so basically, uh, obviously like all tests, it is harsh on some people and on some brands. Uh, but I think the upsides are also greater because, uh, earlier I remember back in the day when working at the larger companies, there always used to be this debate around what's the preference distribution gap right. of a brand. And that I think has become less and less important. Because if you act, because at that time it, it it you know like as you would understand it basically is another way of saying uh, the marketing versus sales uh, you know framing that argument. So uh, it was very plausible back in the day for the marketing person to say, oh, I have built preference, but you, Mr. Sales guy, haven't built distribution. Uh, that 
I think has started to change. And that I think is one of those very interesting, making those two functions, uh, you know, like changing how they work, obviously, but saying that, yeah, okay, build preference and the distribution is so bad, then why aren't users ordering online, at least for the categories I've worked in, uh, that old debate of preference distribution gap, I think has become less and less important now, especially in you know, certain types of markets in the country. So, so I think uh, they, 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 there are obvious challenges because uh, <laughs> it's, it's really harsh on you know, certain brands which ha aren't very strong, etc., etc. I think their downsides have become more serious. But at the same time, the upsides of strong brands have become stronger because uh, uh, distribution is becoming less and less of a factor. Obviously, it's not completely changed and distribution still matters a lot. Right. But I'm I'm saying relatively, say over the last 15 years, uh, I I think that has happened. Interesting, and you know, um, I I was wondering, is it possible to have great multiples for a consumer uh, goods brand? You know, for a for a D two C entrepreneur who wants to. Get I, I I hope so, man. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, uh, I I think I think there are. Uh, I mean, one uh, there is that whole discussion on how multiples uh, have meant that it may not be the wisest idea to build direct to consumer businesses uh, given you know stages at which you need capital and how hungry these businesses are for capital given CAC. Right. Uh, so familiar with the debate I think I, 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 I know I mean I know how the math stacks up and it is uh, a bit uh, when compared to the big tech games one does wonder that oh was I in the uh, was I building the wrong business? Uh, so there there is that uh, I I can see the maths of it in some way, but I think what is important is uh, that you know you're also doing this for some amount of passion, right? I mean it's not that when one thinks of what business one does that I, I mean to me um, obviously if you have spectacular success as a consumer brand you'll get great multiples and you know if you have the right revenue then the match will start working out. But this question is obviously meant for something in the middle, right? In terms of right. outcomes. Um, so, so, you know, like I often think when, whenever, you know, like fellow entrepreneurs have pointed this out, the, the problem of uh, valuation and multiples and what value are you creating for your shareholders and indeed for yourself, I often think that it does go back to like saying, Okay, I did middling well in the consumer world, but friends of mine from IMCAD who did middling well in the investment banking world right. would have still made more money, right? So there right. are some categories which, uh, you know, uh, do come with greater money. So the big tech successes, even the middling tech successes probably will mean greater value generated uh, for a mid compared to a middling direct to consumer success. Uh, but you know, that's how it is. I think uh, empirically, I think there is enough data for that. Uh, but you still want to build a business in which you still make a lot of money if you do well. Uh, yeah. And uh, is, is uh, someone going to make more money in tech? Maybe. Uh, also, there will be more failures there uh, because by definition. So I think it fits that sort of story of one, the, the, the failure rates might be greater there. Second, there would be stories around, and so therefore, you know, like with higher failure rates, greater risk, etc. So there's that narrative. 
think there's also this point of what you want to do, right? I mean, uh, I whatever age I was, I surrounded and in that IIM Cal uh, period, obviously that is the world where a lot of investment bankers happen, right? Who essentially are very clear that they want to do that. But some of us don't want to do that. And that would make more money for people if you were to just do your job through 30 years. An investment right. banker would make more money than, a, than an FMCG guy. Right. Uh, but some of us still become FMCG people. So I think, I think it has to be put in that perspective. It's not a pure money. I mean, because in both cases, if you are successful, you make enough money. Like it's not like you, if, but if you view it as competition and what is the biggest thing you can build, then uh, there might be, you know, strong merit to that argument. I've heard that like, and, and I've seen the broad maths. I get where people are coming from. Uh, but I think human decision making is more complex than one parameter alone. Uh, also, in cases of big successes in direct to consumer, things do start, you know, becoming somewhat similar. Like back at Hector, we used to often talk about uh, Glacier's vitamin water story. Right. Obviously, not the greatest story to refer to now, but back then it was a big story, right? Uh, so, uh, when Coca-Cola acquired, and that was one of those big multiple valuations. Uh, so, you know, like, do it well, if you're successful, you will end up making a lot of money. But if, obviously, if you think it's a, a race with another constituency, then probably those people would have spent a lot more energy on certain things and gone into investment banking, say. Right. I still think that is true. Like someone who does high finance and a startup in high finance uh, might be making even more money than the, you know, like the tech success. So, so you know, there, I think there will always be a distribution. So, Correct. Yeah. I mean, you always have, uh, you know, a company which is, or somebody who's making more money. Uh, but, but talking about investments, you recently raised a million dollars funding from Sauce uh, a Venture Fund. Yeah, so, Sauce led the round. Yes. Right. And, and how did, how did that funding happen? And uh, uh, what are you going to use the money for? I mean, so, so Manu who set up Sauce, I uh, really enjoyed interacting with him because one, he, among the funds, he's an entrepreneur himself, right? So he just set up the fund recently, not, not an old fund. Uh, he, uh, and he has a very sharply defined thesis that he'll go after basically consumer spaces. And that I think gives him a lot of clarity and, you know, like, so I, I really have enjoyed interacting with him both before and after the investment. Um, so I really like the source, uh, approach to this whole game and the focus and the willingness to you know, I, I generally like it when people have made sharp trade-offs because that suggests that is a sign of thinking. So the source portfolio is very sharply defined and their thesis is very sharply defined, which is awesome. Um, and uh, and so basically, he led the round. There are some angel investors, given my background, a lot of people who have known me over the years, they are on the cap table. Uh, all my co-founders from back in the day, etc. Uh, and so uh, what we'll use the money for, uh, well, to be very honest, we'll use it to figure out what this CAC thesis is, uh, yeah. So, which is the phase we are in. We are running a lot of small experiments and hopefully within uh, a month or two, uh, we, will, we will be closer to more definitive answers there. That is point one. Point two is building a strong story around content. Like every month already, we are generating around... 100,000, 250,000 words 
around the space through our blogs etc and uh, uh, because you know uh, a lot of people's questions can have information answers and given the space we are in we are not in the business of hard selling so you know like if people come to our site and read a blog that should be all right because you know you don't want this space to be driven by hard sell so so there is that we will be using money for that then uh, so and, and then basically the early steps of the brand uh, that's the other story which you know again has to have a bit of an experimental approach so those are the three big heads got it and you know before the call i was i was talking about hints and hers which is which is unicorn based in based in us uh-huh. so do you, do you also plan to uh, to get into in, into the women market later on or do you want to uh, or your vision is to yeah i would like on? to we, we we get a lot of interest from women even in this space like for their partners etc right uh, we also are very very aware of uh, you know doing something about that market because the problems of a high need for discretion etc is hold for a lot of those problems the third and very big thing is that culturally we are very ready for it when it has to happen so already three out of the eight first people in the company are women in fact our content stories led by a woman so you know we are very aware that we, in this space we can't become beacons of some kind of weird old fashioned masculinity right. so uh, we building a strong company culture around you know having a lot of women involved and having a lot of voice around the table so we will continue to do that we are we are very aware of certain opportunities there uh, and you know it's not as if the time is not right but just from the point of your focus it will have to wait a bit for us i know there will be other people who will enter that space etc but uh, the important thing is to not uh get into you know like some rush uh, and and get uh, loose focus because you know all consumer spaces in india right now are infinitely big market so the threat of new entrants etc shouldn't be very big reasons to say i have to do this fast you have to do it right so okay. maybe we are some time away from there but definitely is on the agenda penciled in at some stages correct and uh, so as i quickly want to do the top 3 uh, what's your favorite business book i don't read a lot of business books but the one i really liked and i read uh, halfway through the hector story was eric ries and lean startup i know it's quite a classic so a lot of people know that book already right. but neeraj uh, and i we spent a lot of say, time saying that if we had defined the concept of minimum viable product in our minds before we got into it we would have been better entrepreneurs and uh, i read it on his recommendation mostly um, but really enjoyed it it was very very useful uh, very directly useful because if you are if you read it after you have done those mistakes <laughs> like obviously it's better for shareholder value if you read it before right. but if you read it after you make the mistakes that eric thies is referring to then it uh, makes a lot of you know a lot of uh, you can relate to it so much more every now and then i do pick up startup books you know like in this category but honestly i'm i i end up switching lapsing back to my fiction etc so but my co-founder gaurav fortunately every other day or once a week he does describe a very important book to me so i i basically stay in touch 
like right now uh, his findings from Stephen K. What, what's the JWT guy's name? Sorry, Stephen. Okay, sorry, sorry, I made a mess of that. Uh, um, about around definition of a brand, basically. So uh, anyway, and so yeah. So I think uh, if I have to pick one, it is Eric Ries and Lean Startup. Got it. And you know, if you could go back in time when you started your entrepreneurial journey, what is the one thing you would have focused on or anything you would have done differently? Uh, would have uh, placed much more, uh, would have placed much more premium on, you know, or, or rather would have put in much more effort uh, on staying focused. Uh, because like I described the channel play story briefly, uh, focus, like focus on one clearly defined thing which is doable interrogating it and saying yeah this this and this is what we are doing i think i think uh, it is very easy easy to be an entrepreneur and get distracted because you are sort of master of your time right. and uh, and you know like again how the human mind works it rationalizes all kinds of things so you know if if you like something which is a distraction you find a way to explain to yourself how it is not a distraction. Right. So, uh, you know, I would have uh, been more aware of it. Uh, and, and like, that's what I would tell myself in 2000, my 2007 self right. that uh, define narrowly and stay focused uh, rather than, you know, getting uh, pulled in, in various, by various distractions. Current. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, LinkedIn? I really like Slack. Uh, uh, Gmail. So, so Gmail, I can't call it favorite because it is so default. Right. Uh, I really like it. I haven't used another email for a long time, for, even for the businesses. Uh, so uh, I think among the other, I really like Slack, but uh, mostly for value, we shifted to Flock. Uh, but I, I like Slack. I mean, I've used it in the past. It's beautiful, but uh, just, you know, like easier pricing, like lower price of Flock uh, is what made me shift. And I felt a bit, you know, like, oh, I have to move. But it was logical to save that money. Uh, everyone agreed apart from me. Uh, so so we went, we shifted to Flock. But I, I do miss Slack. I, I, something about it I really like. And what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Misters? They can write in to suhas at misters.in or I am usually like, I'm not very regular on LinkedIn, but you know, like once I I am definitely there three, two to three times on LinkedIn once a day. And I generally accept all requests. uh, So long as it's a person. Like the right. only ones I don't accept are which I don't have a profile picture or seem like a ghost profile. Uh, but I am quite responsive on email. So suhas at misters.in is beautiful. Sure, we will put that in the show notes. Uh, thank you, Suhas, for coming onto the show and speaking to us. I really thank enjoyed you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. All, all the best for the show. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.